Good morning, church family. We have our wonderful uh, Frontlines team who have Bibles. Oh, kids. We love you, kids. Thank you so much for being so awesome. You are released to City Kids. Thank you, City Kids volunteers. Our City Kids volunteers are amazing. Yeah, for real. <laughs> they are awesome. Anybody that has seen me chasing my children after church knows that anyone who can get my kids to sit is a saint. So thank you, City Kids volunteers. All right. Uh, yes, our Frontlines team, if you do not have a Bible, they are coming around with Bibles. If you left it at home, uh, you can just stick your hand up. Or if you don't have one, stick your hand up, and this is yours to keep as a gift. All right. We are going to be reading from Matthew 25. That is not right on the screens. Am I right? That's okay. So listen to my voice. Pay no attention to the screens. Okay. Matthew 25. If you're using one of these um, Bibles that's coming around, it's page 831. Matthew 25, 31 to 34. Verse 31 to 34. Let's read it together. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is the word of the Lord. I just want to make a public service announcement, which is that that being wrong was not Peter's fault. That was exclusively my fault. Uh, so thank you, Peter. Peter like serves, I know we say this a lot, but he serves day in and day out, and he's awesome, and I just didn't want. So often when you, because I've been back there, you get kind of the glaring eyes when like the, the slide is late on the music or something, you know, and so I just didn't want him to get those glaring eyes. Direct them at me, okay? Um, all right, now that's too high. Good night. Okay, there we are. Uh, I'm Spencer. I get to be the pastor of Missional Living for Church of the City, and this morning I get to open God's Word with you, and uh, I'm excited, and I'm uh, hopeful and expectant that the Spirit's going to be at work this morning. Uh, I'm excited about what we're going to be talking about. Uh, so this morning we're continuing to look at the Lord's Prayer, and we'll read it in just a moment, but we're thinking about your kingdom come this morning. And the idea of a kingdom is, it, it can be a bit of a distant concept for us, can't it? Uh, all it takes is, you know, watching question period for a few minutes and you realize that we don't really have a kingdom here in Canada, right? When you see that shouting going across and the prime minister being yelled at or something, like, it, we're, the concept of a kingdom is, is not one that we're terribly familiar with. But I think when we go to sort of maybe go from the macro to the micro, we begin to be a little bit more familiar with it. Let me give you a story from my life that I think illustrates the idea of a kingdom. So I grew up in the southern U.S., some of you know that, and there is a staple spot in the southern U.S., and it is Waffle House. Who here has eaten at a Waffle House before? It is an unforgettable experience in one way or another, I can guarantee you that. Um, take... Take like IHOP, if you've ever been there, and knock it down a couple notches, or up, depending on your personality. I'm kind of like, not, bring it up a couple notches. But in every Waffle House, there's usually one person, usually it's a woman, who is kind of the, 
queen of that Waffle House. She runs the show, okay? And if you've ever been to a Waffle House, you, you maybe can picture what I'm talking about. And I was once at a Waffle House. This is when I was just uh, a kid. I was with my grandfather, actually. My dad was guest preaching in a church. Uh, he often did some sort of, uh, similar to Matt's grandfather, my dad for a season did some sort of itinerant pre- preaching, and I would sometimes go with him. And for this one, my grandfather was visiting us, and so he and I went, and I think my dad had to do a luncheon or something after the service. So we went to Waffle House. And so my grandfather and I are sitting there, and uh, have I told you the story before? I'm really turning into my father when I'm like, did I tell this story already? Okay. Uh, nervous there for a second. And through the doors of the Waffle House walks this gentleman, and I can't stress this enough. This was just like you see it in the movies. The whole place goes quiet. You know, all you can hear is a couple, like, scraping of forks uh, on plates, and everyone's sort of looking at this gentleman that's just walked through the door, and then they're looking at the queen of this particular Waffle House establishment, kind of slowly and nervously looking back and forth, and the queen of this Waffle House, I wish I knew her name, but sadly I don't, uh, she, she's holding, you know, her, her pot of coffee, and she says, uh, we told you not to come in here no more, Big Red. Not lying to you. Those were the words that she said. And my grandfather, much like my father and myself, he is not much of a fighter. Uh, so he said, quick, get under the table. Because, uh, you know, we're in the southern U.S. You can be back in heat. He didn't know what was going to happen. Uh, and so sure enough that uh, she says, you know, we told you not to come in here no more, Big Red. And uh, so Big Red kind of stands there, uh, sort of the standoff for a moment. And then quickly he realizes you know, this is not my kingdom. So slowly he, you know, mumbles something and turns and walks out. And gradually we all go back to our, uh, our, our greasy hash browns and waffles. Uh, but that was a small little micro expression of what a kingdom looks like. That was her kingdom. It was not Big Red's kingdom. And he was not welcome there, as we all discovered. A kingdom is a place, in, in a kingdom, you know who the king or the queen is, right? You know who they are. People take their cues from the king or the queen, as people did there looking at Big Red and then looking at this woman. What's going to happen? She had a pot of coffee. True. That could be wielded as a weapon, that's for sure, especially Waffle House coffee. Um, And the king or the queen's will is done. You take your cues from them and their will is done. Um, So... I hope in sort of a silly way, that's a little micro picture for you of what a kingdom is like. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to read uh, this prayer that Jesus taught us, and we'll jump in here this morning. Jesus, I thank you that you spent uh, years walking around teaching us how to love God and how to love each other. And as part of that, that living lesson that you gave, you taught us how to pray. You gave us this prayer, which the more that I study it, I am amazed at the, uh, the depth and the wonder contained in this small, simple prayer. So I pray that we would discover some more of that this morning. Thank you for the ways that you've already been teaching us. And I pray that we would recognize that for your kingdom to come in us and in our city Uh, we need to experience your presence. And so I pray that we would experience it in tangible ways this morning and as we go out from here. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
So you can turn here in your Bibles if you'd like. We'll be doing just a lot of jumping around in our Bibles this morning. But if you want to turn to where we've been reading the Lord's Prayer from, you can go to Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. But we're just, I'm just going to read it again for us. We've been hearing it for the last few weeks. Jesus said, Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So your kingdom come. Jesus, if you've spent much time in the Gospels, you will know that Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom. He talked a lot about it. And in various different Gospels, that gospel writer, the author of that gospel, chose to maybe use a different version of that phrase. So we'll hear the kingdom of God, we'll hear the kingdom of heaven, his kingdom. And scholars have said that when we take all of those different instances and we eliminate times where it's Jesus, you know, saying the same thing but in a different gospel, scholars say that there's about 80 times in Jesus' teachings where he talks about the kingdom of God. And actually, Jesus himself, in Luke 4, 43, you don't need to turn there, um, it'll be on the screen, he says that this is actually the purpose of his ministry. This verse says, but he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. So Jesus takes this idea of the kingdom seriously. Actually, Merrill C. Tenney, a fantastic name, uh, who wrote an ens- one of the, uh, a great resource called the Zondervan Encyclopedia of the Bible, he goes so far as to say this, There can, therefore, be little doubt that the phrase, the kingdom of God, expresses the main theme of his teaching. So if that's true, friends, I, I was kind of caught off guard by that, I guess, just the idea that the kingdom of God was the main theme of Jesus' teachings. I certainly recognize that it pops up a lot, um, but if that is the case, we need to understand what Jesus is talking about, don't we? We need to have some sort of grasp of what the kingdom of God is. And so I hope that that, uh, I hope that as we leave this morning, you'll have a better sense than maybe when you came in. And Scripture presents to us, as we think about the kingdom of God, Scripture presents to us three senses in which we can understand the kingdom of God. And so we're going to look at each of those three this morning and consider what it would mean to pray your kingdom come in light of each of those senses of what the kingdom of God is. Make sense? You with me? So I want us to just put on the screen all three of those now. We won't leave you in suspense. And then we'll jump into each of them. The kingdom of God is, number one, the eternal reign of God over the universe. The eternal reign of God over the universe. Number two, the kingdom of God is his special rule over his chosen people. And number three, the kingdom of God is the future rule of God over the new heavens and new earth. So let's look at each of these. Number one, the kingdom of God is the eternal reign of God over the universe. Psalm 103.19, an absolutely beautiful verse, says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. That's a very, uh, it kind of covers all the bases, doesn't it? It's a very um, strong sort of foundational statement made there. He has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. 
And so we actually won't spend too much time on this particular sense of the kingdom of God because you've probably re- you can probably recognize by the very nature of how I phrased this that this can't be any more true. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? God can't be any more God than he's always been. You may not believe that, that, that you know, there is an all-powerful God, but you at least understand probably where people who do believe that are coming from, and you're like, okay, well, if you believe there's a God, you probably believe he's all-powerful. Yes. And so, you know, we say, okay, so then what would it mean to pray in light of this, right? If this can't be any more true, you know, we believe there's a God. He's been ruling over the universe for all of eternity, and he will continue to. So what does it mean to pray your kingdom come in light of this, if this can't necessarily be any more true? Well, when we pray your kingdom come, friends, we are simply hallowing the creator of the universe. Jesus had a plan when he constructed this prayer, I'm realizing. He didn't just throw it together. When we pray your kingdom come, it's a prayer of submission in which we are declaring our place in proper relation to holy God and in the story that he's been writing for all of time, a story where he is the king, not me and not you. So when we pray your kingdom come in this sense of of God's eternal rule over the universe, we are saying, yeah, you are king. You always have been. You always will be. I am not. Leslie Newbegin, this 20th century uh, missiologist, he says it this way. I love Leslie Newbegin. You'll probably see me putting his stuff on the screen all the time. In our contemporary culture, two quite different stories are told. One is the story of evolution, of the development of species through the survival of the strong, and the story of the rise of civilization, our type of civilization, and its success in giving mankind mastery of nature. The other story is the one embodied in the Bible, the story of creation and fall, of God's election of a people to be the bearers of his purpose for humankind, and of the coming of the one in whom that purpose is to be fulfilled. These are two different and incompatible stories. And before you get caught up in, well, hang on, I, you know, I, aren't there some people who say that, you know, evolution and, and, and creation aren't, that's not the point of what Newbegin is trying to get at here, I don't think. He's trying to say that there are people living by a story in which God is not a, a factor at all, let alone king. And he says that story is worlds apart from the story that believers to the story that scripture presents, which is that God has been king over all uh, forever and will continue forever to rule and to reign. And so we, when we pray your kingdom come in this light, we are putting our stake in the ground that he has been ruling forever and will continue to rule. And we are not king. Number two, the kingdom of God is his special rule over his chosen people. So what do we mean when we say this? Well, if you've spent much time studying scripture, particularly the Old Testament, if we think about the Old Testament and we think about God's special rule over his chosen people, who are we talking about in an Old Testament sense? Israel. I heard a few people like, Israel? Um, kind of the mumbled dance. Yes, the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel. Uh, Isaiah 43.15 says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. And God had actually intended to be the King over this nation. 
Think about how remarkable that is. A, a, a physical nation of people on the earth and God said, I want to be your king. And yet, as we so often do, human beings so often do, the nation of Israel said, uh, we need something a little more tangible, physical, uh, uh, a little more understandable than that, God. So just give us a regular king like everybody else has. Give us a human being. And the prophet Samuel promised them that this would lead to disappointment and to heartache. And again, if you've spent much time in the Old Testament, you know that that surely was the case. And yet, throughout the Old Testament, we have these moments, these glimpses, these foreshadowings that God himself was going to take back the throne over Israel. And he was going to usher in a kingdom unlike anything Israel had experienced. And we also get these foreshadowings that he would actually draw a people from all nations, not this nation with very clear boundaries around it, the nation of Israel. He would draw a people from all nations into his rule and reign. One moment where we get one of these glimpses is Zechariah chapter 2. The whole chapter is really wonderful in this regard, but we'll just look at verses 10 and 11. It says, Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. And many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. So we get these glimpses, and they're all sort of foggy, incomplete pictures of what's to come, but they seem to be promising something big. And then there's this period of silence. But then, on the scene comes this strange prophet, uh, John the Baptist. And he comes with this message saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's happening. Watch. It's at hand. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. And as we said, he's talking all about the kingdom. And lo and behold, we discover Jesus is actually from the line of David. And he's calling himself the son of man, one of the terms used by the prophets to foreshadow this future kingdom that was going to be unlike anything that they had experienced. And so, people in this time, seeing this rise of Jesus, what John the Baptist is saying, it seems like Jesus is poised to restore Israel to her former glory and beyond. And yet, we know that, indeed, this is what Jesus does, but not in the way that anyone was expecting. Probably even the people who were really trying to understand the words of these prophets. Because Jesus brings it about not through swords and conquering and territory, but by washing feet and dying. A very strange kingdom. Even at the end of Jesus' earthly ministry, the disciples are still struggling to understand this upside-down kind of kingdom that God is bringing about. We see an example of this right at the very end of Jesus' physical presence with his disciples. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, it'll be on the screen. I, I, I think the last three times I've preached, this has been on the screen, but I, I'm so in love with this passage and what Jesus promises and, and commissions us with. Uh, it says, when they had come together, they asked him, being his, his followers, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're thinking in very earthy, physical terms, aren't they? Is, is this it? 
He says to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. They're probably thinking, okay, perfect. And in Judea, sounds good. And Samaria, wait, what? Uh, we don't like Samaritans. And to the end of the earth. Well, hang on, I, I live here. Um, what is Jesus talking about here? The disciples are picturing this uh, restoration of the earthly kingdom of Israel. And probably in their minds, they have King David. We can forgive the disciples for making this mistake because if we think back, we're well poised to understand this because we just had this series exploring the life of David very recently. Think back to sort of the trajectory that David took, right? He was anointed as king over the nation of Israel, and then he spends these years in obscurity. And actually, not just obscurity, but opposition, right? Years of running from Saul. And then he ascends to the throne in victory. And so the disciples are probably thinking, hang on, okay, Jesus, we get it. We get it, same sort of thing. Like, you, you know, we, we all started following you and we thought, yeah, you're the king, but then we did some weird stuff there for a while. Um, but now you're ascending to the throne. You know, you died and you resurrected, so now you're going to ascend to the throne in victory. This is it. This is great. Like, let's go get the swords and get the Romans out of here. Jesus wanted his disciples to see that the kingdom the realm of God in the world was no longer going to center around the temple or the king in Jerusalem, nor was it their job to know when it was going to come in its fullness. He was telling them that his kingdom is present with us and that it's wide open to the world and not looking the way that anyone was necessarily anticipating it to look. But he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and, and just a few weeks ago I preached on what this means. What, what is this power that we receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon us? And so I'd encourage you to go back to listen to that. But then he says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, you will receive power, and you will be my witnesses. All throughout scripture, like when this language is used, it's conjuring up images. When, when a new king would ascend to the throne in a kingdom, or, or a new empire would conquer territory. Messengers, heralds would go out to say that you have a new king. There's a new one on the throne. You're going to take your cues from somebody else. Their will is now going to be done here. And Jesus says you will be those heralds going out and announcing a new king on the throne. And so when we pray your kingdom come in this sense, we are praying a prayer of proclamation. A new king is on the throne, and we are declaring our loyalty to him. We're inviting that king to rule and reign in us and through us in the world. And we are issuing an invitation to the world to enter into that kingdom with us. Colossians 1, verses 12 to 14, puts this into words beautifully. It says, giving thanks to the Father. It's, it's, if you know this passage, it is a very long run-on sentence. Uh, so we're jumping in halfway through. It says, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Uh, let me just stop. It's as though Paul has the Lord's Prayer running through his mind here, doesn't he? Give, giving thanks to the Father, our Father in heaven, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. Our Father in heaven, this place that's more unimaginable than we, than we can think. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, 
in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. A new king is on the throne. He is a good king, and he is ruling over a good kingdom. And so we, when we pray your kingdom come in this sense, are praying a prayer of proclamation of our loyalty to Jesus. But don't mistake this, friends. In another sense, when we pray this prayer in this sense of God's kingdom, it's also a proclamation. It's also uh, an act of treason. Um, because there's, uh, for so many in the world, a different king is on the throne. Um, and we need not, mis- we, we can't make that mistake. And Jesus gets there later on in his prayer, right? Deliver us from evil. And so we'll talk about that. But for now, I just want to um, have us read the words of Eric Raymond as he talks about this. When, he says, when we pray for the kingdom of God to come, we are pleading for the kingdom of Satan to be toppled. Like is so often the case, when a tyrant is displaced, we want his statues to be defaced, toppled, and dragged in open view. We want Satan and all of his demonic scheming, tactical assaults, deadly seduction, hissing lies, and destructive systems to be shattered. And we want that to be true in us as well as through us, don't we? Because we know that, that that's, a, that's an ongoing process in us. And it certainly is out in the world. Just a quick side note. As if, if you move into the rest of the New Testament from the Gospels, just thinking about the kingdom in this sense. Jesus talked a lot about the kingdom, but his followers talk almost exclusively about the king. They don't talk about the kingdom. They talk about the king. I don't know if you've ever met someone who has worked for somebody famous or something. I have a, a high school friend who, um, for a little while, worked in the office of Ronna Ambrose, who was the interim conservative leader. You're like, this is in, where is this going? Um, stay with me. Uh, and she actually still works for the conservative party in different ways, but while um, Ronna Ambrose was the interim leader, she didn't talk about the conservatives, she talked about Ronna Ambrose and having had conversations with her and really believing in the things that she talked about um, because she had a relationship with this woman. And that should be true of us, friends. We should have, a re- we do have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a relationship with the king, with the king. And so we talk about the king and what his, his kingdom is like, certainly, but we have a relationship with the king and we know that he's good. And we know that through him, as Paul said in Colossians, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we talk about the king. Finally, the, the kingdom of God is the future rule of God over the new heavens and new earth. Back to that passage in Acts Peter's going to put up the next chunk of it on the screen. So Jesus has just ascended into heaven after saying these words. Or, sorry. Yes. Uh, I was trying to figure out where we were jumping into the passage. So verse 10. Um, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, Jesus has just ascended after saying these words, you'll be my witnesses. Two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. And sometimes I think, you know, in sort of our like data-driven, very practical Western mindset, we think, okay, so he's just saying, you know, the method, he has went up into the cloud, he will return to it. 
I think these angels are saying a lot more than that, right? What does it mean when someone ascends from the clouds, right? Think about any Superman movie you've ever seen in your life, right? It means that someone is coming in power. Like, someone is here to save us. Like, things are, are happening. And so this is what these angels are saying, that, hey, be ready because Jesus is going to come back in power. And so... Uh, Jesus always had attention in his speaking of the kingdom, what theologians now call the now and the not yet. See, Jesus taught that the kingdom, God's rule and reign, and those who participate in it, is growing all around us. It is present. It is tangible. But it won't be fully realized in the world until that return, until he comes the way that he left And that's where we come to this passage that Sam read for us, Matthew 25, verses 31 to 34. This is Jesus' teaching, right? He talks about the the very present reality of the kingdom, but there were also moments where he talked about this future glory. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, right? This angel's not saying, yeah, it'll just just look up to that spot in the sky. He's saying, no, Jesus is going to descend in the clouds. There's going to be angels with him. He's going to come in power. And he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. An eternal king ruling from the beginning, before the beginning of time, until long after it. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And so we, as followers of Jesus, long for the day when God will complete what he started through Jesus. The defeat of death, the banishment of sin and pain from the world. Not to be trite here, but there's going to be a day where God treats sin, pain, and death the way that that woman treated Big Red. You're not welcome here anymore. Go. Like, get out. And it, sin, pain, and death will go. It'll be a memory. And we'll all go back to what we were doing and slowly think, oh, that's, glad that's over. Like, I I know I'm being somewhat silly here, but have you thought about that, friends? That there will be a, a day where we'll go about our business and sin, pain, and death will have walked out? And the kingdom, there'll be a memory for us? Like, think about that. I long for that day. I hope you do too. And so when we pray your kingdom come in this sense, we are praying a prayer of hope and of expectation. A prayer of hope and of expectation. Here's how John Calvin expressed this. I love this quote. As I laid down in sleep and rose this morning, only by your grace... Keep me in a joyful, lively remembrance that whatever happens, I will someday know my final rising, the resurrection, because Jesus Christ laid down in death for me and rose for my justification. In the day in and day out, the the struggle of, you know, the fact that we live in a kingdom that hasn't fully come in this world, we can sometimes forget that there will be a day when sin, pain, and death, because of the work of Jesus, will be but a memory. I want to put uh, a picture on the screen um, that I find quite powerful. Um, So this group of kids 
they're really, you can see a lot of them are teenagers. Um, they've come to be called the Buchenwald children. So these children, uh, historians aren't totally sure what happened, but they, they think that they were brought as the, the in World War II, as the German uh, Empire was slowly shrinking, that they were brought from other camps in further into Germany, uh, where Buchenwald was, and uh, so they kind of came from all different places, ended up there, and when this, camp, when this particular camp was liberated, um, they realized that all these kids had been held in sort of this separate spot called uh, Block 66, and uh, so then they had all these kids there, and they tried to figure out where they were from and what was going on, and I was thinking about this message this morning, and, and th- these sorts of moments came to mind. Imagine being one of these soldiers. First of all, what what we now know that they were witnessing for the first time, these atrocities that the world was not understanding, fully understanding was going on. So there's all of that. But imagine um, the, such a trite word to use, but the privilege of being able to liberate someone, of being able to announce to someone, hey, the war is over. And the war hadn't fully been over, but for these kids, the, the war is over. You know, this, this is liberation, this nightmare that you've been living in this camp, it, it's over. And yet, if you're one of those soldiers, say, telling these children about liberation, sure, they're experiencing liberation, but what, el- what other promises can you make? Their lives will never be the same. For many of them, probably their families were no more. Uh, they ended up being... Um, taken to various different countries. I think uh, some went to Switzerland, some went to Britain, some ended up eventually in Israel, uh, but their lives are never the same. So these, these liberators were able to bring a message of liberation, but were they also able to bring a message of future hope? I don't know, um, and perhaps not. But friends, we can never forget, we can never forget that as we pray your kingdom come and as we share your kingdom come with those around us, the reality of what Jesus is doing is it is a message of present liberation. Jesus, through his death and resurrection, when you enter into that kingdom, you are forgiven the penalty of your sins. You are given a family. You are adopted. Uh, All of the hope and joy that we've been sharing over these last number of weeks through our vision series and, and into this one, Um, But it's also a message of future hope. Because so many people we know, lots more people in other parts of the world than here even, when you follow Jesus, there's also a lot of question marks and and uncertainty. Uh, Think about people around the world who that means losing family, losing loved ones as a result of that decision. But it is also a message of future hope. That Jesus is coming back and his kingdom will be fully realized. It's a present truth and it's a future hope. Amen. Amen. And so we're almost done here, but as Matt has been talking about over the last number of weeks and just alluded to as he was talking about this regional prayer that we're having tonight and tomorrow, uh, we are, I think, in a unique season as a staff and as elders Uh, Because we're recognizing that something that we've always, I I think we're recognizing, we're feeling something in our hearts that we've always known in our heads, which is that we do not have the tools to see God's kingdom come of our own 
strength. I think, like I said, we've always known that in our heads, but I at least feel that more keenly in my heart than I have ever felt it before. I, over the last number of weeks, was preparing for uh, three times a year. We get all of our MC leaders together for a training, and I was preparing for that, and I, I had this keen awareness of, I don't know what tool, what new, wonderful, you know, five-step method, or, or here's the, my new idea. I didn't have anything. I, I'm, I'm being honest with you. I'm not trying to, yeah, I'm not putting on airs here. I, I didn't have anything, and I, and I spent time talking to Sam, and I thought, I think we just need to spend our time together as MC leaders asking to experience God's presence, asking to have an encounter with him, because if we're not spending as much time friends, on our knees, in prayer, asking to experience God's presence as we are in a potluck, I think we're doing something wrong. And I, if you've ever seen me at a potluck, you know that I am all in there, okay? I am a firm believer in the potluck. <laughs> but if, if we're going out on mission every day, friends, uh, the tank is going to empty out at some point unless we are returning to our knees and saying, God, we need an experience with you. As Moses said, I told my MC leaders yesterday, like, you're going to hear a lot of the same things because this is what's going on in my heart uh, yesterday and today. Moses said, like, don't make us go if you're not going to go with us. And that's, that's how I'm feeling right now, friends. I don't know if you can echo this. Like, life in a missional community is wonderful, and there is no life that I would rather live. There's no life that I would rather choose for my kids than to be able to experience life in a family, in a, in a missional community that, that shares everyday stuff together. But it can be hard. And it can be hard to extend invitations to neighbors to try and articulate the gospel in, in fresh ways. And I'm recognizing in my heart more than ever that we need God's presence to be felt. And so that is why we're doing this regional prayer. Um, we could do, you know, as we think about your kingdom come, we could, in, we could go out and do street evangelism or something. And maybe, you know, by joining up in these parking lots, we will have the opportunity to share with people why we're there. But the reason we chose prayer gatherings is because as we head into another year where we're hoping and dreaming for and Guelph as it is in heaven, we're more aware than ever that we can't do it. We can't do it. We can. We need God's presence to be among us and to be felt through us. My prayer is that when someone comes to one of our potlucks, because we are so saturated with the presence of God, they leave. And as those, uh, as those men on the road to Emmaus after Jesus departs, like, wow, our hearts were burning within us while we were talking with him. Something is different. That's my prayer for us. And, and I'm going to invite up uh, our, our front lines team because we're going to take communion here in a moment. But that, friends, I'm talking in circles now, uh, but that's my prayer for us as we head into this year, that as we pray your kingdom come, we aren't looking for another tool, but we're asking God's presence to be with us. And Jesus knew, Jesus knew that we would need reminders to be this kind of people, people on our knees, seeking the presence of God, submitting ourselves to this new kingdom. That's why he gave, as Matt said, like, I th 
I think he actually meant us to pray this prayer regularly because he knew we would need reminders. And he gave us another reminder, uh, another regular reminder of this kingdom that we're a part of, and, and that reminder is communion. And Jesus brought his followers together, and he said, you know, I, I, I'm not going to be with you in this physical way forever, so I want you to do this regularly, to remember what my kingdom is like. It's, it, it's brought about through my body being broken for you and my blood being shed for you. Remember that. Do what you need to do to keep that at the front of your minds because it's not like other kingdoms. And so we're going to sing here for a moment as the elements are distributed, the, the bread and the cup. I would encourage you just to hold those, to reflect on this kind of kingdom that we are a part of. Pray that that kingdom would be coming in you so that it can come in our city through us. And then I'll come back up and we'll take the elements together. Not standing for me, we're standing for our king. Uh, a reminder of this new kingdom we're a part of. And on the night uh, that Jesus gathered together with his disciples, this, this kingdom was coming in in ways that they weren't even realizing. Jesus took bread and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take this in, remember to me. In the same way he took the cup, he said, this is my blood shed for you. Drink this and remember to me. Jesus, we pray that this kingdom, your presence as king, would be tangible in us, with us, and then through us. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.